chapter if we choose to stay there as a representative of our Christian life. Another thing that he said in this video that really struck me, he said that 97% of the ocean has been unexplored. We don't even know what's there necessarily. 3% of it, we can basically say we know what's there, but 97%. In other words, we really only know what's on the surface. It's when we begin to go deep, right, when those that do this sort of thing for a living, as they go deep, they're then able to uncover the mystery. They're then able to be able to learn more. They're able to understand the depth. And how much differently then is that in regards to God, that when we choose to go deep in understanding what it means to be in a deep, abiding relationship with Christ, not just content for the superficial stuff, but when we go deep, there's so much more. God can give us hundreds of years on this earth in relationship with him. And whenever he finally says after 300 years of your life, right, he says, all right, time to go to heaven. You still would know less about God than than, than you knew of him because the depths of God are unsearchable. And yet there was another statement or or, or another uh, truth about this that came to mind. When we look at this, I was just fascinated by that video. And when we look at it, that's God's creation, right? Those things didn't evolve. That's how God wired his creation. God created all this. If the creation is that fascinating, how much more infinitely fascinating then must be the creator behind the creation? And so as we look at this particular series, here's the desire. I want us to look through in the weeks to come of what it means to go deeper with God, all right? And, And that's progressive. Some of you may be on the surface now, The desire and the goal is as we move through the series that you understand the necessity and the beauty and the call of God to go deeper than you are today. Others of you, you're off the surface, right? You've you've begun to kind of to plunge the depths of who God is, and you've been a believer for a long time, and there's depth to your walk. God calls you still deeper. He desires you to go deeper. And so I want us to look at what some of the dangers are on the surface through this series. I want us to look at the beauty and the invitation of God to go deeper. I want us to be able to look at some of the barriers to a deeper walk with God and also just how we go deeper. And, and here's, here's the necessity of it. Because if you look at our country and our nation today, especially from a spiritual perspective, you're familiar with some of these statistics. Many will say 60 to 70% of our nation, people would identify themselves as Christian, Right? Surveys will come out consistently that 70% of America identify individually as Christians, as, 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 a, as a terminology they'll use as a Christian. But you and I both know that six and seven out of every 10 person in this country is not a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus Christ. And what often happens is when we ask someone, are you a Christian? And that response comes back, yes. Many times what it means is, is that my granddad was a preacher, right? I'm not Hindu, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Muslim. uh, And and I remember this vague experience when I was, you know, six years old at a church camp. And so I, you know, I I raised my hand. And so I guess I'm a Christian, right? And, And so churches like this, and I would say this one as well, are filled many times with people who are what most would call nominal Christians. In other words, the definition of of being a Christian for them is that they identify with the Christian faith more closely than any other faith that they know of. And yet their definition of Christianity really is more tied to a a, a church or a denomination uh, rather than the person of Jesus Christ. That it is a religious 
thing, not a relationship necessarily with God. We call it nominal Christianity, to where it's a superficial, almost in many ways deceptive understanding of what Christianity is. There is no depth. And if you look at that person's life who would be the nominal Christian, there, there would be no brokenness over sin. There would be no recognition, really, of sin in their life to a large degree. There would be no fruit that God is producing through their life with increasing joy and and, and increasing peace and increasing self-control and the fruits of the Spirit that's there. There's no real hunger or passion for His Word to go deeper. And we're not talking about those dry seasons in every Christian's life. We're talking like that's the norm. That is descriptive of their quote-unquote Christian experience. There's a complacency, there's an ambivalence towards the needs of people around them. Uh, and, and God is just viewed, uh, again, almost like a, just an impersonal being out there that sometimes will give us what we ask for if we only ask. It's, just a, it's not a personal, vibrant, growing uh, relationship marked by depth in that person's life. Nominal Christians, Christians in name only. You know, I shudder to think that the day when many who call themselves Christians in name only stand before God, I shudder to think what that may be like whenever the curtain is pulled back and they realize that being a Christian in name only is not what Scripture speaks of, that it is a vibrant, life-changing relationship with God that grows deeper and deeper and deeper over time. Here's the thing we need to keep in mind, is that God ultimately is a God who reveals himself. You have a creator, right? Whether you are a Christian or whether you are not, you have a creator who reveals himself and longs to reveal himself to you. Uh, Again, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'm going through a Bible study with a group of guys called a D group, and we get together every week and we study the same passages of scripture. We just came through Exodus chapter 3, and in Exodus chapter 3, that's where we, we read the account of Moses. And a lot of you know the story of Moses. I mean, he blew it big time back in the day. You know, he actually murdered a guy, went on the run and ran from God for decades. And God ultimately comes to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and he reveals himself. He reveals himself in a burning bush, and it's the burning bush experience. That's why we hear that so often in, you know, in conversation. I had my burning bush experience. It refers to God revealing himself to a man who had murdered someone, went on the run, and God tracked him down, and God located him. God never, he never fell off of God's radar, and God came to him, and the first thing God did was reveal himself to Moses. You serve a creator who reveals and longs to reveal himself to you. In, in more and more and more increasing ways, to greater and greater and greater depth, God wants to reveal himself to you. In the same way, also, you have a creator who desires to change and to transform your life, that when we have a relationship with God, listen, it is not a dry, dusty relationship. God's desire is to change and to transform your life to such a degree. Here's the way the Bible speaks of it. That when it speaks of baptism, representative of a person who has turned from sin and given their lives to Christ, it says, so radical is God's change in your life. It can only be described by burial and then being raised up and given a whole new life again. That's how radical the transformation is that God wants to bring. It's not a superficial, hey, let's just hang out here with God on the surface for, for years and years and years. No, God says, I have transformed your life. Man, if you come to me through Jesus, I, I have like buried your old life and I've raised you up as a brand new person. And so go deep, man, go deep with me. That's what God's call is. And so he reveals himself to you. He wants to transform and to change your life. Listen, but he also invites you into relationship. And every single person here has an open invitation from God himself. 
that the song that Rebecca sang is like God's song to you. It's an open invitation to say, come, know me. Understand me like never before. Go deep in relationship with me. But here's the rub. Here's the thing we have to recognize, we have to think about. That for many, many, many believers or Christians in name, they could have much the same experience. In fact, for many Christians, their experience in life would be no different if they did not even believe in God at all. For far too many Christians, I would even say confidently, also some seated right here in this place hearing this message, that if they woke up and decided tomorrow, you know what, today they say I'm a Christian, but if they woke up tomorrow and said, you know what, I don't even believe in God anymore, their life would look no differently this week than it did last week, except for very possibly a one and a half hour time block on Sunday mornings. No fruit, no hunger, no passion, no uh, still same ambivalence towards the needs of others, uh, no desire to go deep with God, no brokenness over sin, no sensitivity to the needs in our own lives and what God wants to do about those needs, no different whatsoever. And it's because rampant in Christian churches, in this country specifically where we have it so easy, is this nominal Christianity. People with names on church rolls who would say in an instant, I'm a Christian because my mom was, my dad was, my grandpappy was, and he preached. And I'm not Hindu, Muslim, or Buddhist, but really have no vibrant, growing relationship with the Lord. In Jesus' ministry in John chapter 6, ironically, we get to see nominal Christianity at its best, or could we say at its worst? You're going to be shocked to see how clearly it's shown here in John chapter 6. Here's the setting. Jesus' ministry is now gaining speed by the time we get to John chapter 6. He's just finished feeding the 5,000. Now, there were two instances where Jesus would feed the multitudes. One, Scripture tells us he fed a multitude of 4,000. Another, he fed the multitude of 5,000. That's the one you're probably really familiar with. If you went to church at all when you were a little kid, you probably remembered seeing Jesus on the flannel graph and a loaf of bread on the flannel graph and, you know, so a couple of fish on the flannel graph, you know, and baskets and a lot of people, right? That's a story everyone is familiar with, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Well, that has just happened, right? That's just occurred here in the context of John chapter 6. And now on the heels of that, what we get to, to read here in this chapter is the after story. It's a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm going to break it down into pieces just so that we can cover it in the time that we have. But you can read the whole chapter on your own sometime. Hopefully you will even perhaps later today. But the aftermath of this passage, the the setting, is the feeding of the 5,000 and what happened afterwards. And so let's pick up here in John chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 26 and see what John, as he writes this gospel for us, let's see what he has to say. John 6 verse 26. You can read it on the overhead behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. So John writes and he says, Jesus answered them and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, remember he's speaking to those who've just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. (laughs) So he's got all this crowd here, right? A lot of churches would be just happy with a crowd, right? It doesn't matter what we do. Let's put the preacher in a chicken soup, put him on the roof. You know, let's throw out all kinds of free stuff. If you come, just come, we'll give you free, whatever, 
And we just want a crowd, right? Jesus didn't care so much about the crowd. He wanted authenticity. And so here he is in front of all of these crowds. And man, he is about to tighten down the bolts big time as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If there was ever a place where Jesus could have said, come be a part of the big show, follow me, and we'll have a real, real happy life together, it would have been here. But no, 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 he doesn't do that. He begins to, to, to detail what it means to be a genuine, not a superficial, but a genuine growing deeper follower of himself. And so he says to the crowd here, he says, you know, guys, really all that's going on here is that you have followed me, not because you see the signs or want any more of that, but because you got filled. You got filled up physically. Now, here's what we need to understand about John. In the book of John, there are seven, they're called sign miracles. Feeding the 5,000 is one of them. Meaning that when Jesus would perform a miracle in Scripture, he didn't do it just to dazzle the crowds, right? He didn't, you know, it wasn't like a David Copperfield moment where, you know, he would like, you know, whoosh, you know, yeah, look at all this food, look at what I did, come back Friday, I got another show. That's not the way he did. He would do miracles for a purpose of authenticating the fact that he was God when he walked this earth. Always was, always will be, still is today, right? He did his miracles so that the people would see good night. Nobody can do this. This man must be exactly who he says he is. He must really be God. And so Jesus would do miracles to tie into the fact that he was the Messiah, that he is God. And so you call those signs, signs that point to the, to the fact that Jesus is, is God in flesh. So he says to this crowd, he says, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, not because you want deeper relationship with me. He said, the only reason you came looking for me on the other side of the lake is because you were hungry, you got filled up, now you're hungry again, and you want to see what I can give you. You know, you want, you, you want like another Happy Meal, right? So you've come looking for me just because you're physically hungry. You don't have any desire. It's a very superficial desire. You don't have any desire to go deep in relationship with me. And he called them out on it. Right? He said, that, that, that's not what the Christian faith is about. That's not what being my disciple is about at all. Let's move forward to verse 35. So Jesus then begins to speak in uh, uh, metaphorical language. Right? He's giving an analogy. The Bible is best taken literally. However, there are portions of Scripture where Jesus would speak in metaphor or it would be written metaphorically. Right? You think about Song of Solomon. Jesus is speaking as a metaphor here. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, he's not saying I'm literally a loaf of wonder bread, right? He's saying, I am the bread of life. Comparatively, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. It's an amazing point that he makes against the living, breathing backdrop of having just fed 5,000 plus people miraculously. He says, it's not about what you get from me. That's not what we're going with. It's not the superficial. Yes, I will meet your needs, but it's not about the superficial. Come and get whatever I can give you. It's something deeper. It is about knowing me specifically. Well, as he says this, well, the people that hear him begin to grumble, right? And they're saying, what is all this about, you know, him being the bread of life? We know his mama. We know his daddy. I mean, they're like grumbling about who is, what is he saying? What is he going into? So Jesus notches it up just a little bit further. Look in verse 51, a little further in John 6. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, I am the one who came out of heaven. I am eternal. I am God. I am the living bread. I'm the one who alone can fill. I created you. Only I can fulfill you. Only I can give you what your heart longs for. 
I'm the only one in existence who can do this. Well, after he makes that statement, again, the people who hear him are grumbling. They're taking everything literally. They're thinking like, how on earth does all this work? I mean, it just sounds weird. I mean, what, what is going on here? So, so verse 53, Jesus just, just, just goes there. And again, this is where he tightens everything down so tightly that they cannot miss what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 53 through verse 59. So Jesus said to them, still speaking in metaphorical language, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, reference to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Again, he's saying, I'm not speaking literally here. I'm not a loaf of bread, you know. He says, your forefathers, they ate real literal bread. I'm speaking in a different way here. He says, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread, speaking of himself, will live forever. And these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So here's what Jesus is saying. He says, so radical is my call to you. So significant is my call that if you are going to have a relationship with God, and if you're going to have a relationship with me, and if you're going to come to know God the Father through a relationship with me, Jesus says, so radical is this that it's not going to be something that just happens superficially that doesn't change your life. Rather, it is going to be so radical that, that it can only be described in, in terms that it's as though you have consumed me. It's as though you have consumed me like food, like drink. It's like I, you will be so closely identified with me. It's as though you just ingested me into yourself, right? That's how Jesus pictures this. It is a high call. It is a costly call that is placed. Look at verse 60, the next verse. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. (laughs) You think? This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? They understood what he was saying. I mean, they got it at this point. This is difficult. I mean, who who can listen to this? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? It's not about checking boxes. It's not about showing up. I mean, you, you are all in here. Does this cause you to stumble? He says, what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they're life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The next verse is perhaps one of the absolute most tragic verses you'll read in all the Bible. Ironically, it's in John chapter 6, verse 66. (laughs) I don't know if it means anything. It's just ironic. And as a result of this, many of his disciples, not the 12, these were those that would say, are you a disciple of Jesus? Oh, yeah. Many of them withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. More. 
you know, Jesus, we, we'll take all the healing you want to give. And we'll take all the feeding that you want to give. Just give me the surface where I can come to you on my terms. Give me the surface where I can be comfortable. Give me the surface where I can identify and define what the Christian life looks like, the way I think it should look. But don't give me any depth with you. Don't call me deep where I lose control of my life to surrender it to you. Jesus, don't call me down to the depths where I lose my identity because it is now found in who you are in my life. Don't call me ultimately to the depths where I'm going to be expected to bend and conform my life to you and to your truth. I just want to hang out here at the surface. And it was at this moment when Jesus tightened down the bolts and he said, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, that there were a significant number who had previously been identified as nominal disciples right? Who said, you know what? This is the place where our roads go different directions. It's been good, Jesus, but we're out of here. And it says they withdrew from him and they were not walking with him anymore. F.F. Bruce, a theologian, look at this quote of how he describes this moment. He says, what they wanted, he would not give. And what he offered, they would not receive. And that didn't cease in the first century ministry of Jesus. It happens still today, day after day after day. You know, there's a takeaway. There's a scary, scary takeaway from this, and I hope you'll jot it down, and I hope you'll think it through. And the takeaway is this, that it's the surface nominal Christian that we've described who is but one very small step from walking away from Christ together, uh, altogether forever. And you may be one of those, and only you would know of, of how you describe your level of brand of Christianity But if you have no brokenness over sin consistently, no hunger for his word, no desire to reach people, no desire really for God to be God in your life on his terms, not your own, if that's really what marks your your, your level of Christianity, then you need to really give thought to this because you are probably one small step. The multitude was one small step away and it was a hard teaching. And I don't know what the hard step may be for you or the, the small step may be for you. It may be a, a false teaching that just kind of sends you down a wrong road. It may be a tragedy that comes to your life. It may be an extreme challenge that comes where you now begin to shake your fist in God and blame God and those kind of things. I don't know what the small step may be. But for the average, superficial, uh, church-going, nominal Christian, that person is but one small step away from walking away from Christ forever. And notice Jesus didn't lower the bar. He didn't say, wait, 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 wait. We, we, we need a bigger crowd. Come on. Just, all right, let me just lower it a little bit. I don't want you guys to go anywhere. He didn't. There was nothing in Scripture that points to the fact to where Jesus changed the dynamic or chased them down. He painted the picture of what was, what was truth, and then he let them make their choice. You know, watching all this unfold were the 12 disciples. He handpicked those guys. I mean, you remember in the Gospels, you know, Matthew, one place, you know, it's like, you know, you, 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 you come with me, you know, leave your nets, be fishers of men. You know, he, he handpicked the 12 disciples. Watching all this unfold in John 6 were the 12 disciples. And, and, and it's interesting because Jesus then turns his attention to those guys. Look at what it says in verse 67. John chapter 6, verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? He turned his focus from the crowd 
to the 12. Having just described the nature of what it means to be a follower of Christ that goes deeper and deeper and deeper progressively over time, having just painted that picture and seeing people wave goodbye as they walked away, he then turns to the 12 and he says, so what about you? This was the, the fish or cut bait moment for these guys. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we're going to sit here, we're just going to cut bait all day, or we're going to actually go try to catch some fish. This was the fish or cut bait moment for these guys. And we all have this moment in our lives, right? If you ever played sports in middle school or high school, there was a point probably for you where you realized I'm not going to go further. I don't know if we have any ex-professional athletes in here. We may, but uh, you know, probably for most, <laughs> you, you never were. But you played ball in school, middle school, high school, or whatever. And there was a point for you where you, you decided, you know what? I don't know if I want to keep getting up at 6 a.m. anymore to go to the gym and practice with my team. This is getting a little bit old. You know? I'm not that good. I don't get a lot of playing time. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Maybe for you, it was that moment on the football field when you said, you know, two days are kind of becoming a grind. And, and now we're practicing in the summer. And I like my summer. You know, and there was a point for you, kind of on an athletic field, where you said, you know, it's a fish or cut bait moment. I, you know what? I'm done. It's been a good ride. I've really enjoyed this. You know, I've had a little success, but, but I'm done from this point on. I am walking away from the field. I'm walking away from the court. You know, I, I'm just done. It was that fish or cut bait moment, you know, where the clock went off at 6 a.m. and you're like, I'm not getting up today. And that was the last, you know, the first practice that you ever missed, and all the rest, you know, came afterwards. This is the way it is for these guys. Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, what about you guys? Are you in this? Are you all in? Are you with me or are you not? Are you going to hang out on the surface and only follow me when I give you what you want? Or are you willing to go deep? And it's going to go deep if you want with me. And I love Simon Peter's response. Next verse, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What Simon Peter says is, there is no one like you. We have heard your words. We have seen your life. We have studied the prophecies and we believe, Jesus, that you are God and you are the Messiah and there is no one who compares to you. There is no other plan B worth pursuing. There is no other alternative but to follow you we know what it costs, and we are all in. And 11 of those 12 guys would die martyrs' deaths, including the John who wrote this particular gospel, who died, I believe, as a martyr in exile against his will simply because of his faith in Jesus. We only remember Peter for his failure, don't we, when he betrayed Jesus. We all have our valleys and our dips in our walk with God. But overall, overarching, Peter's life was one that was surrendered to going deeper with Jesus. You know, John, who wrote this gospel, would also write three other books in Scripture. Well, four actually, but three specifically that bear his name, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I wonder if I wonder if he was thinking of this particular event that he described in John 6 when he wrote the words to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Look at, look at what John would write in this letter. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. 
but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. When the demands were great, when the cost was shared and communicated, and where the rubber hit the road, they wanted to hang on the surface rather than to go deep. You know, Jesus doesn't exist merely to grant our every wish. He doesn't exist to elevate your status. He doesn't exist as a magic lamp or a lottery ticket to give whatever it is that we ask for. He exists as creator God. He exists as crucified redeemer. He exists as risen savior. And he exists to be Lord over every minor and major detail of your life. And the reason that he brought you and I into existence is so that we can bear witness to all of creation of what he looks like when we live our lives in surrender, going ever deeper in relationship with him. We'll never hit bottom. However, God's design and desire is that we go deeper ever still with him. To know him, to trust him, to follow him, to walk with him. Understanding that he made much of us on the cross, didn't he? And now he gives us the privilege of making much of him in the lives that we live. You know, in the book of Matthew, there'd be two verses where Jesus would describe in a nutshell what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And it reminds us that he is always calling us into the deep, deeper ever still with him. But he awaits our response. He's not going to make a decision for us. He's going to invite us deeper and then wait for our response. Look at what it says here as we close with Matthew 16, verse 24 and verse 25. So Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life in surrender, right, we would understand, to him. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, as we kick off our series this morning called Deeper, my desire for every single person here is that for those that have never given their lives to Christ, that today you begin the beautiful journey of understanding the depths of who God is through a relationship that only comes when you turn from your sin and invite Jesus to come in and forgive you. He'll do that if you ask him. And right where you sit, you can ask him today, Lord Jesus, would you forgive even me and all of my sin and come in and take residence in my life and take over as my Savior and my Lord? And he'll answer that prayer. But for many of us, we've made that decision, and today he calls us deeper. And the desire I believe that he wants is not to leave here saying, okay, that's it, I'm going to commit. I'm going to come to a grow group for a month straight. I'm not going to miss a Sunday between now and Christmas. And those commitments are great, but I don't know that he's looking so much for commitment as much as he's looking for surrender. And right where you sit today, Christian, you can say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender to you as your follower to enable and, or rather to allow you to take me as deep as you will in relationship with you. Are you willing to invite God to do what he already wants to do, to walk with you? deeper. Let's pray.